Industry veteran, a constant learner, tech forward, and visionary. These are just a few of the words that I take away from my conversation with the president and founder of Centorbi Financial Group, Chad Centorbi. After becoming a full-time agent for Franklin Life Insurance in 2001, the company his dad worked for as well, Chad set out to build the wealth management arm for the business. And three years later, he had done just that and created the wealth management arm for Franklin Life Insurance. Now, Centorbi Financial Group is a visionary RIA that is focused on adopting, implementing, and integrating technologies to create operational efficiencies while providing a valuable and differentiated client experience. And today, we get to talk with Chad about the journey of innovating within financial services. This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. Chad, thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate it. you having a good day so far. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me, Matt. Appreciate it. And, um, and we were talking a little bit earlier, and one thing stood out that you sent over uh, prior to this conversation. Uh, you mentioned that your daughter is the first daughter in the Centorbi family for 84 years? Um, yeah, that, that's correct. So almost every generation has been two boys, two boys, two boys. So I just, my wife and I both just kind of assumed we were going to have boys and you know, we were expecting our second, uh, lo and behold, um, you know, we go to the doctor and we see the, uh, sonogram and we're, we're expecting the first, first girl. So, um, her and her younger daughter or her younger sister, I should say, are both pretty spoiled. Yeah. How, how do they, how do they deal within the, uh, the Centauri family reunions when they're the only two female, uh, children? Yeah, it's it's uh, they get spoiled pretty pretty uh, pretty badly for sure. I should say did, um, but yeah, it's uh, it's a long time coming. My um, my mom uh, actually lost one in between me and my brother, mm. and um, yeah, it was uh, so. Yeah, the first girl is pretty exciting. That is very exciting. That's very exciting, and um, and then you also mentioned that you're uh, you're big into woodworking. So have you gotten them involved in woodworking as well, or you think it's just going to be kind of a, a thing for you right now? Yeah, it's um, my my uh, middle daughter. Uh, she'll she'll come out in the garage and kind of hang out. But actually, uh, my brother has a custom cabinetry business, and um, so last part of high school, first part of college, uh, I worked for him, and and really any kind of DIY stuff. Um, I enjoy, um, my wife would say some things I don't need to be doing, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of a passion for me when I can carve out the time just to get out there and, uh, you know, you take something from a sheet of goods and, you know, transform it into something else. Yeah. What, I mean, I give everybody, um, you know, massive credit for that because I, I'm, I'm not one of those handy people. Uh, when I was a kid and I and I tried to do Legos, I, it always turned out to be not what I envisioned. I always had a better vision of what I thought it would be. Um, what's one of the best things that you've been able to create that you're most proud of on the woodworking side? Um, probably to date. Uh, originally, was uh, going to be just a, a simple. Thing. You know, our uh, our kitchen, the way it's laid out, is so we have three kids. Our oldest is twelve, a ten year old, and a six year old. Um, you know, there's, there's the island where, you know, that's where we eat dinner and, you know, most of the time we congregate and, you know, my wife kind of fills that up when she's preparing dinner and that's also the time the kids are doing, um, homework. So I don't know, I was looking for, you know, another project to kind of kick off and she just, you know, randomly kind of mentioned, you know, it'd be great if we just had this small little like homework table 
you know, it was a little bit shorter. So, you know, it's their size that they can just kind of pull their chairs up to you. So that, that's probably the one I'm most proud of because it's, you know, sits right in our kitchen uh, to use almost every single day. Um, it's not super fancy, but it's, yeah, it's a, um, yeah, it's probably the one I'm most proud of. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a piece of work and it's, uh, it's, it's being used every day for, for bettering your kids. I mean, there's not, I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. Yep. Um, well, that's great. Well, uh, again, I'm excited for this conversation because I, you know, we've been fortunate to talk to a lot of uh, advisors across the country, and you know what y'all are doing at Centorbi is you know really innovative and forward thinking uh, in a lot of areas. And so I think that uh, your insights will can help really a lot of the advisors and the listeners of the podcast kind of continue to think through how to better their firms, which ultimately betters our our industry. And I, I wanted to start out and kind of just you know lay the foundation from, you know, where you came from and where we are today. I mean, you started with Franklin Life 18 years ago. Um, I'd be interested to know from your perspective, how has the wealth management industry changed over those 18 years? Well, um, to me, um, obviously, the logical, which I know we'll get into, has drastically changed. Uh, but when I first came into the business, uh, we mostly did just life insurance and, you know, fixed-based products. And back then, um, you know, I, I think the average client had a, you know, different advisors that were segmented in certain areas. Maybe they had a broker. Maybe they had, you know, the traditional you know, insurance guy. And I think that's changed quite a bit over the years where, you know, it's more focused on comprehensive wealth management. And I believe that most, um, you know, clients and, and prospects are looking for, you know, what we kind of consider a financial coach. You know, somebody step in and oversee, you know, everything they're trying to accomplish and have one point of contact and know that, you know, things are getting taken care of. And, and I think that, you know, just to go off a little bit uh, um, for a second is, I mean, that's, I think, definitely the trans, transition that's happening within our industry, right, is the, the idea of being more holistic and driving more yes. value uh, yeah. to the client. You know, but that also comes with challenges, right? And and so, I mean, what have yes. been some of those challenges that you've seen in delivering that type of holistic approach? When it's a, it's you need to be handholding, but you also need a little bit of volume for the business. Yeah, it's um, one of the areas that I think that is. Um, I think there's a big. Uh, it's been quite a while since I pulled up the statistics, uh, but I just uh, uh, talk about probably about five years ago, and it was uh, with the broker-dealer we were associated with at the time, just regarding technology and how our industry is aging. And um, the other, you know, big change that I think that's happened over the years is it used to all, all only be, you know, the solo solo entrepreneur or one gentleman that was, you know, interacting with the client, one kind of single point of contact, where now it's, you know, collectively and team-based approach. So, you know, one of the big hurdles we had to overcome is, you know, helping some of the, the more veteran-based advisors adopt, you know, that new thought process of, hey, you know, us working together, the client's going to be more beneficial. And then, obviously, um, you know, just managing the interactions, you know, if they're using one of our CPAs or, you know, one of the attorneys, you know, making sure that, you know, that attorney and that CPA is one to provide the same level of service that we are, so, you know, and what the client's used to. Yeah, and I think that that's the biggest thing, right? Being more of the quarterback and 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 uh, having a part in a lot of those 
different aspects of the financial plan because you've created a trusting relationship and then how do you help them in all those different areas? And, yeah, I think that gets to the next question. I mean, you've built a successful RA. I mean, you're helping hundreds of families within their their their, their drive to, you know, success from a financial standpoint and financial planning. You know, what do you think has been really a driver of the success for y'all at Centorby um, in, in serving families and delivering value every day to them? Um, well, the number one is, um, you know, we, we are kind of a family-based practice. We, we look at every client as an extension of our family. So putting, you know, their interests first, um, you know, I believe is the biggest driver of our success. Um, the other is with all the changes that, you know, I remember when I first came into business, I think we went through three broker dealers in six years, not because we actually changed and, you know, that was because of acquisitions and, um, you know, being open and acceptable to change. Um, there is a, a mentor of mine that I always talk about and says embrace uncertainty because it's the only thing that, uh, is certain in life. And, um, you know, if we, we look back a year or two to the fiduciary rule, you know, I personally know people, you know, locally that, you know, they exited the business because they, they were unsure of what's going to happen and, and what's going to change. And so, you know, just being open and uh, acceptable and, and allowable and, and, and workable for the changes coming in the future, um, just embracing that and moving forward. Yeah. And I think that, you know, um, that is a, is a huge part of you know, doing what's right for the client, but then also being nimble enough. And I, and I guess that's yes. a challenge that many advisors have. And so, you know, if I, if I were to press you a little bit, I mean, how are you nimble enough, right? Because there is so much regulation in this industry and there's so much more continuously coming and there's so many pieces to the puzzle. You need a custodian, you need a compliance person, you need X, Y, Z, right? How do you stay nimble to, to be able to kind of adapt to those changes? Um, to, to, to me, it, it just the, you know, the, the kiss analogy of keep it simple, silly, um, you know, as long as, in my opinion, most of the change should come from the back end or back office. So, you know, now we need to tweak a workflow because, you know, hey, we have another form with, you know, TD Ameritrade or, you know, whatever, you know, custodian we're working with. Um, but as long as you're, in my opinion, providing the same client experience, which um, I don't, I don't see how much regulation is going to change the way we interact with our clients. Um, you know, keeping a, in my opinion, a, a strong technologically based back office is, is one of the probably huge uh, benefits of us and allowed us to, you know, make those those changes flexible. You know, okay, well, we need to, you know, there's been a ruling out now. We just need to kind of tweak a workflow and how we're going to work through that. Right. And I think that that, um, that makes, you know, and I think that that gets back to the point of understanding and having clear defined processes for how you deliver the experience, right? How do we, work, how do we do the extra work on the back end to where the client only sees what they need to see that's only valuable to them? And I think that that leads into the next question, which, which is regarding technology. I mean, you are definitely a forward thinking in how you use technology. I mean, the way that you use your Salesforce instance and you adopt new technologies and you try to integrate them and work with them. What, what, um, what led you down that path to being so open and so um, focused on implementing and utilizing technologies within your firm? Was it something from the past or what, what led you that way? Um, well, it's like I've always, um, I'm probably one of the few people 
industry that, that loves technology, loves you know speaking about it, understands what you know APIs and some of the you know technological terms are. Um, I don't have a, a, a computer science or you know background specifically in there. I've just always enjoyed you know and been intrigued on how technology works. Um, our our um, roadmap, you know, definitely didn't come without pitfalls. I mean, we've we've probably made more um, technological mistakes than I'd say probably ninety eight percent of the firms out there. But I, I guess the, the what I saw is that um, you know I still use partially a paper based planning system today, and I'm just one of those. If I don't write it down, I'm going to forget it. Mm-hmm. And we were starting to see. Um, as you grow um, or add advisors, you know, things, things fall through the cracks here and there, which obviously, you know, can hurt your client service and um, also that relationship with the client. So the more that we can, you know, automate in the back end and um, eliminate human error, that was kind of the big push that, um, you know, pushed us to start, you know, making those decisions. And it, and in my opinion, it also kind of took a while for our industry, you know, to create what I would consider true workflow-based software or, or abilities in these software pieces. And, and there's still a lot of CRMs today that are, you know, for our industry that I think are, are, are really lacking. But, um, yeah, that was probably the big one is, you know, as you grow, um, you know, you don't want to see those cracks in it, even when you're not growing um, or, you know, when you're first starting, you just want to have a streamlined process so that when client A walks in and refers you to client B, client B, you know, then gets the exact same experience client A received. Right. And, and I think it's so many of the advisors just have it in their head of what they the process is. But then that, that gets to your point. When you start growing in terms of personnel, right, you want to bring in a CSA or you want to bring in an assistant then it becomes difficult to, to get them into your head from that standpoint if you don't have yeah. clear defined processes. Um, and you know, and, and looking at y'all Salesforce, right? A lot of people use their their CRM because they don't have the the desire to learn the technologies and spend time into it. They just use it as a glorified contact book. And uh, you all don't. You use it as a true efficiency process workflow tool. Can you walk through for some of the people listening? Um, you know, what are a couple of the ways that you have been able to leverage Salesforce to create those efficiencies for you and your firm? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's interesting you talked about, about Legos earlier. Um, still to this day, I could probably sit down and, you know, my son isn't nearly into Legos like he used to, but uh, I've always, always, you know, as a kid would enjoy those and enjoyed when, when he was building stuff with his and and that's, that's the way that I look at Salesforce. And, and, and I, I segment Salesforce out because um, anybody that asks me questions on it, I'm like, you know, the greatest thing about Salesforce is it is 100% customizable. And the worst thing about Salesforce uh, is it is 100% customizable. Um, but the, the, the biggest thing is that, you know, when we went through, um, I think we've probably been on at some point in time almost every major CRM in our industry from Redtail to originally was advisor assistant. Um, we did Microsoft CRM when it, when it first came out. That's a, you know, that'd be for another call to go down that road of the mistakes <laughs> we've been doing that. Um, but you know, the, the, the thing that I love about Salesforce is, um, 
if you understand how Salesforce works and that data model, there's nothing that you can't tell it to do, but you just got to know, you know, how and when to tell it to do it. So like as an example, when we were first started, you know, building out our processes, um, you know, one, the, the first thing I wanted to do is, okay, you know, we want to take care of our current clients. Obviously that's number one. So how can we efficiently, you know, make sure that all of our clients are being reviewed based on the schedule that, you know, they're being reviewed on. So, you know, we built out and automated our client review process. Um, I don't know the number. I'd have to pull it up, but I would say maybe two people we've actually had to jump on the phone with this year to schedule the review. Um, all of the others are, you know, through our process, they're going to get an email with a link to the calendar. Um, and so, you know, it's completely automated as soon as they book it. You know, that triggers a workflow for everybody in the back office to get all of that stuff done. Um, so I personally don't spend really any time preparing for reviews anymore um, because of the system that we have in place. And really, my, our back office, it's uh, when that workflow triggers, everything's really done. The tasks that are associated with it is just making sure you know, kind of dotting I's and crossing the T's that everything is, you know, up to date and correct. So, you know, there really isn't much back office time stuck on client reviews anymore. Um, that was the, that was the first place we started. Um, and then we went to, you know, automating our complete, um, sales process so that, you know, everywhere from the discovery meeting to the implementation meeting, everything that everybody on the team needs to do as well as communication of the client when things are done. Um, you know, you know, that was the first, you know, two big ones, in my opinion, of where we really started to see the value of, you know, an integrated system as well as, you know, defined processes completely automated. So, um, you know, we could start seeing that value. And the other, you know, in my opinion, is once you have that process defined and automated, um, it's also easy to figure out you know, where, where there's issues in that process. When it's not written down and followed the exact same way, it's hard to know, okay, well, you know, where is the, the ball being dropped or where are we, you know, where can we get more efficient or maybe add another level of service, you know, that the client seeks. Right. And, and, and because the whole thing is, is and correct me if I'm wrong, I mean, it's an iterative process, right? I mean, you're going to take a stab at it with one process. You're going to try it out. You're going to iterate it and tweak it. And, oh, yeah. and you have to dedicate time to it um, yes. in order to get there. And I think that, you know, going back to when you started this, like, is the, the question really gets to how did you start to get understanding of all of the aspects of understanding the Salesforce ecosystem, right? Someone that's out there listening that is a Salesforce user that just is like, I have no clue where to even start. How did you start? I mean, there is no, the, the manual, I think, is probably 150 pages, I would believe, <laughs> of that thing. Um, yeah, and, and I was going to say, if you find the manual, let me know, because I, I don't know. If one, <laughs> I'm sure there one may be out there. Um, you know, I, I, just my personality, I'm one of those that's, uh, um, I probably over-research and over-analyze things and, and anything that I do. Um, so I, I just started, you know, kind of digging in, um, you know, anywhere from as simple as the YouTube videos to just understanding that, you know, really Salesforce is just a huge spreadsheet that's connected to multiple different spreadsheets. Um, so once I kind of 
understand understood that piece and just doing a lot of research and training um they have uh i think it's called the trailhead which is uh, you know they're um I believe it's complimentary, you know, just some training that they provide on all different areas of the system. Um, but when we started looking to have it truly customized and automated, I learned um, an exponential amount with the developers that, you know, we used when we did our first run on Salesforce um, and now who we still use today. Because we were, at one point, we were with Salesforce and left um, just because it was, it was too hard at the time for us to manage. Um, but now they've made some major changes and, and are now starting to kind of cater more towards our industry. So um, it, it was, it's a big change for us. But, um, yeah, I mean, just for me, how I learned is, you know, just old school rolling up your sleeves, doing some research and reading and, and, and figuring out how to do things. How, you know, how do you balance the time, right? Because I think that a lot of advisors feel that that time is wasted because they're not focused on the revenue generating side of the business. How did you early on balance that with the revenue? So, um, you know, I'm a, uh, a, a firm believer of um, a doing what you doing what you're best at, but also like working on what you're what you get inspired and passionate about. Um, and like I, I am one of those guys. I will I can can log in and geek out as we like build a workflow and then literally like watch everything get triggered and an email sent out or whatever it's supposed to do um, during that entire time. So um, it wasn't it wasn't hard for me, um, you know, to carve that time out just because, you know, there was uh, a lot of inspiration behind it because, I, you know, I, I got excited when those things happened. Um, it's interesting because there's a, um, a local advisor, a good friend of mine, they have a successful RA practice, and... Um, we had launch, uh, I guess, a couple of weeks ago, and they're struggling with some technological changes. And he, and he jokingly, he's like, "Well, can you just come in and fix all this for us?" Mm-hmm. And, and um, you know, so and, and I have no idea where that conversation is going to go, but um, you know, I, I think there's also value to you know maintaining and, and doing what you do best. So if it's something you don't want to do. Um, you know, finding a place that has a you know vision that you can match up with and, and, and help you execute on what that division is because there's there, I feel like I have a, a really good um, understanding of the you know the data model how most of Salesforce works but you know I am by no means an expert in there you know that's why you know we have the developers that we work with that you know does a lot of the, the you know the custom coding and that kind of stuff for our org. Well, yeah, I mean that's the uh, that that's the point, right? Is leveraging resources to help execute on a vision that you have, and you know, I think that lead that that goes into really the next area of how to balance. We were just talked about how to balance time uh, of building this out, but you know, in your mind, what's that balance look like between tech that needs to be involved in a firm and the human relationship, right? I think that uh, when when robo advisors first entered the scene here in our industry, everybody, yeah, I think, um, reacted uh, without much uh, knowledge right away of saying that these robo-advisors are going to take over the industry, right? They're going to take over the human aspect of it, which we all know is not true. Um, and so how do you say to the firm, you know, that is maybe saying technology is going to ruin the human relationship? How do you help them balance 
the two? And, and is there one that takes more precedence, precedence than the other in, in your mind? Well, um, I think part of it depends on the demographics uh, that we're dealing with. So, um, you know, the, uh, the baby boomer and older generation, um, you know, what our experience has been is there is more of a, a human interaction when it comes to, uh, you know, client meetings, client reviews. And I, I think, you know, regardless of the demographics, those types of meetings are going to be mostly human interaction. Um, but what I also think is that um, more and more people are, I, I, I think it's the baby boomer generation is, is the largest group, you know, joining Facebook. Um, right now, mobile devices search more on the internet than PCs. So um, the technology, you know, back in, I think the client wants the option that if they can be, um, you know, if they want to log into the app and interact with you that way, um, I think they're going to want the option, and it's almost going to be a requirement, you know, going into the future. Um, just because that, you know, uh, like it, this past weekend, my wife and I went out to dinner and we had a babysitter. Um, you know, it's, it's I feel it's more quicker and efficient, you know, to, to order a pizza from Papa John's on their app than it is to call the store because um, I can order the pizza in five minutes now. Mm certain services, you know, you want to physically talk to somebody, but I think a lot of the service related items that clients deal with, you know, if it's a distribution or whatever that may be, um, you know, now and more and more in the future, they're just going to want, you know, to be able to handle that and, you know, either log into your app or your website and take care of that on the back end. So I don't think the human element's going away, but, um, you know, service interaction, um, I think that can easily uh, be handled from a technological and still have, you know, a personal touch added with it. Yeah, and I, I, I agree. I think that there is a, uh, there will be a constant um, attraction of, advi- of clients towards what they're doing on their day-to-day basis. And the more that they use their cell phones, the more they use apps, the more they interact with their kids and grandkids via texting and video, et cetera, they're going to be at requesting that from all of the services that they interact with within the rest of their lives. And so I think that that continues to evolve over time. I agree. Yeah, I want to wrap up here with two more questions and then kind of move into buy, sell. But with when you look at, when you look at the return on investment that your technology has, what is the ultimate goal that you're hoping um, to have with technology within your firm? And secondly, how are you measuring that? Um, so, so ultimate goal, um, so there, there's three things we're wanting to accomplish, um, with our technology. Um, the number one, uh, for current clients is we want all of our customers, uh, to have a place where they can log in 24 seven and know if they're going to be okay within 60 seconds. Mm. Um, and you know, we'll be there by the end of the year. So, you know, everything that they've decided, um, on their wealth plan, you know, they can log into our portal and know that they're going to be there. So, so that's our number one goal is because um, I just think in today's world, um, you know, people don't want to 
Um, nor do I want to have to have them call. Like, let's say if the if the market drops fifteen percent because of a Trump tweet, that's obviously an exaggeration. But mm-hmm. um, you know, if, if clients get excited or see the market completely dropped, you know, I want them to have a place they can log into and see. Oh, okay. Well, my plan's on track. Yeah, maybe there's a little volatility, but you know, what Centorby has laid out for us, you know, we're kind of on track. Um, the other is I want them to have the option, kind of what we just talked about. Um, to take care of any transactions without human interaction if they desire. So um, this, this is a real life experience, you know, real life uh, situation. A couple weeks ago, client and his wife were, were out to dinner, got a little late, and you know they decided that they wanted to book a cruise. It's you know eleven thirty at night, um, you know, and then they had to. And he actually asked. He's like, you know, is there any way I can just request this? You know, in the middle of the night, if I wanted to, now is a kind of a random uh, situation, but I think that's going to come up more and more. Mm-hmm. Um, now, how we track that is, um, so we have started implementing the, the beginning of Q3, we're actually going to start sending these out, is um, a customer experience survey as well as an online interaction survey. So, um, you know, what what I think my clients want, what they, what they actually want is, you know, I, I don't know that those completely, you know, match right now. So, you know, that's one of the reasons we're asking them for, you know, what they want and do not want to see on our actual portal. So that's how we will plan to measure that into the future. Um, the last thing that we want our technology to do is just to change the way people learn and manage your finances. Yep. Yep. I, I think that that is, I mean, I think that that is what's unique and differentiated about you all versus other firms, right? I think that you're focused on making the client experience much better, utilizing technology. And there's still many firms out there that are focusing on trying to make a, a better um, investment strategy. How do I get better returns on my portfolio, et cetera? And I think that that may be um, something that is an ultimate longer term change in our industry is more people are going to see what you see in the business. And so I think that that's really unique. And so to close this question out is, you know, I kind of teed it up a little bit and you've teed it up yourself, but where is this industry 10 years from now? How does this industry and profession look different than it does today in your mind? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to say uh, specifically because, uh, you know, where we're at 10 years from now, it's hard for me 10 years ago to say that um, we would be here. But I think the, the biggest change that we will see um, on the short term is how we get compensated. I think there's going to be a major change there and a shift away from the traditional fee-based pricing model. Um, the other, I think, is going to be the, the drastic change. Um, and this is one of the things that we're focusing on is changing the way that people manage finances is um, self-service financial planning. And what I simply mean by that is that, you know, all of us advisors have these financial, you know, planning tools that we utilize to help educate our clients on, you know, if they make decisions now or, you know, you know, the, what I call if then statements, if you do this and this is your probability of what's going to happen um, is places for, the traditional public to educate themselves on um, financial decisions um, without advisor interaction. Um, that you know is kind of customized specifically to you know what they're doing, you know, interacting with their their current financial situation. 
So it's ba- it's basically like taking, um, and I know this is simplifying it very much, but it's basically taking eMoney or Money Guide Pro or something of that nature and kind of paring it down and opening it up to the public as opposed to having to go through a financial advisor from that standpoint. Yes. Something yeah. of that nature. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I agree. I see that. I mean, I, I see that trend happening more and more. I think that the fee story, the fee conversation is a real one of how do you um, – you know, the AUM model has been there for so long that it's going to be hard to break that. Uh, but I think that that is going to become more and more of a prevalent or a, a um, loud conversation over the next 10 years. Uh, yeah, and, 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 and to kind of add on that uh, a little bit, I think, um, you know, you know, flat fees will be part of that next transition. Um, but where I somewhat, you know, kind of feel bad and, and, in a way, is that like industry, the current revenue model is either catered to um, high volume number of clients with bad service, or we're dealing with the more affluent. Um, just because majority of our industry is either getting paid by fees, which is you know based on the value of assets they manage, or a commission. And a new guy starting out, if he you know, gathers 500 smaller clients, he can't adequately serve those to the level they're being served at um, or should be served at. So I think there's a big gap in the service level from, you know, your smaller clientele, your larger. And that's where I think that self-service planning is really going to come at. Yeah, I think that that's the, the beginning of infiltrating further and further into that question of how, how do we how do we charge for our services, right? And it's, it's, just, a, it's just the nature of the beast, right? I think that it constantly evolves over time like any other service provider does. And so um, it shouldn't lessen the value that, that advisors provide. Um, so I, I think, I mean, we could talk about that for, I mean, we could go on for another hour e- easily on that. Um, I, I want to move into buy or sell segment. So this is my uh, my attempt to kind of merge the, the traditional financial advice of just investment management with uh, kind of the future of technology. So what I'll do is I have four statements here. We'll just go through buy or sell. Uh, buy if you agree, sell if you disagree, and we can just do kind of one or two sentences of why you're leaning one way or the other and see if you're a bull or a bear here. Um, all right, buy or sell. Clients like to be connected with their financial advisor on social media. Uh, I would say buy. I think that we need to be where our clients are. Um, since, since most of the time they're on their phone, I think we, we need to be directly where that's at. And we're going to need that, that technology and social media to connect with them. I agree. We want to learn. Our, our clients come in and tell us their whole life story. They should hear a little bit about what we're doing, too. Um, buy or sell. In the next seven years, the top reason that clients leave advisors will be because of a lack of technological innovation. Um, I'm going to say buy with a limit order. <laughs> so uh, uh, I, I think the primary reason that, that clients are going to leave to, you know, in the next seven years, because we're still going to be dealing with the boom, mostly boomer generations, will be because of communication. Um, but technology, in my opinion, could you know exponentially assist with that communication. But you know, further out, yeah, I think for absolutely is going to be technological innovation. I think when the uh, Gen X and Gen Yers, if you don't have an app and can interact with them, you know, via text message or an app, I, don't, I think that's going to be a you know no go for them. Yeah. I, I can see that. And I think that the baby boomer generation is going to take some time to evolve as well. Number yep. three, uh, buy or sell. Advisors that say they can't see an ROI on investments in technology 
are just not adopting technology for the right reasons? Um, I would say absolutely buy. Um, you know, technology is one of the largest things that, in my opinion, that allows us to compete with the big players. Um, without it, I don't. I mean, I think it'd be hard for any of us. You know, when I say big players, the, the major custodians, the super RAs. Um, I just think we have to be there. I think. Uh, I think actually, Apple trademarked that statement of "there's an app for that." Um, so yeah, I think we have to. I think we. Have, I, I don't think it's a want anymore. It has to be a necessity. Yep, and I agree with that. I think that ROI. I mean, we look too much into. Um, you know ROI on an investment basis and technology if it's if it's saving you time right an hour a day what does that mean right that's your ROI from that standpoint um, so the last one and we alluded to this a little bit before in our last uh, in, in the, one of the last points but buy or sell the AUM annual percentage fee will still be the most common way of charging for investment advisor services 10 years from today uh, that'll give me a sell yeah. I think we're going to go to more flat fee and you know trans, you know uh, subscription based pricing. Yep, I'm in. Uh, I, I can see that for sure. I, I can see that. I think that it's going it, to it would probably be on the latter half of the you know the far end of that ten years because of the amount of you know, just people being comfortable with the AUM fee. But I think that that is going to be a driver uh, and an innovation that's happening of how we how we do charge for our services. Um, so you're 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 bull. I'm, I'm going to take that as a bullish a bullish approach there. <laughs> uh, I kind of teed it up. I always like bulls, so I try to tee it up to where we would get you to be a bull um, from that standpoint. Um, so what we'll do here is I'd love to get you know give you 90 seconds or so to to, to give a, a final statement, give the listeners an item that they can execute on today to push their firm forward then i'll do a closing thought and then we'll wrap up and get back to the let you get back to your day but you know what is the one thing i guess to tee you up and you can go a different direction if you want that a financial advisor can really take back to their firm today and and really implement and push their firm ahead of the rest of the industry as you see it um one thing i would say is to document everything um and, and almost all of us now uh, do everything on our computer. So we started doing just a, a simple screen record of, um, you know, any task you think we're going to do more than once, we just screen record it. And now we have the, you know, kind of documentation to immediately build a workflow around us, around it. And that is, you know, exponentially, you know, accelerated the implementation of workflows because, you know, we can visually see it. Now we can just critique it on a whiteboard and then start executing on it. Um, and and I, I'm, I'm, we use Camtasia. Uh, I know there's you know hundreds of different screen recorders out there, but yeah, I document everything and, and record it. And you know, once you have that recording, you can easily pass that off to an assistant and say, hey, let's you know start building the infrastructure from here. Or you know, if it's something you enjoy doing yourself, you can take it on on yourself. I, I have never heard someone say that, and I think that that's amazing. And so, do you have like a document storage where everybody saves it to the same like drive or same folder or whatever, maybe yeah, so, on address? So, so I probably have the, uh, I should say, we probably have the most unlisted YouTube videos on YouTube. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's a, um, I, I mean, we, we, as soon as we get done recording it, we normally upload it to YouTube because that's just uh, the easy way to uh, distribute it. And then we save that link and, uh, uh, we use OneNote as kind of our internal, you know, office manual. Um, so we save the link and then what it's about. But yeah, it's a, um, 
Yeah, I'd have to log in to see how many see how many videos we've recorded and, and uploaded to YouTube. That's amazing. I love that. That is something that every firm could take and be better on uh, if they did. Um, so I'll, I'll get into my closing thought, and, and it's really a little bit about humans and robots. The other day I was reading an article that was titled, Should Your Company Use Humans or Robots? And the article listed out some of the things that robots were really good at. Robots are great at repetitive tasks. Humans get bored and lack motivation. Robots are fast and accurate. Humans have too many outside influences. But And robots can actually work in dangerous environments. They have multiple lives, right? They die, you bring them back. And then they listed the areas that humans are good at. Humans are better at creative tasks where things aren't as linear. Humans are better at conversations because robots don't have empathy. And humans are better at building trust, something just with face-to-face. So what does this have to do with the financial advice and what is the takeaway for a financial advisor? Well, in this environment where artificial intelligence is becoming a common word inside financial advisor firms, many get overwhelmed with how to balance this new technology with their service-oriented business. And some even worry it will take over their job. But the takeaway from the article is that the true solution isn't black or white, but rather a shade of gray. It's a balance of the two. Human relationships will constantly be paramount in our business, and that is something that humans will continue to have an edge on robots. But robots and artificial intelligence can scale us as humans so we can build more relationships. This technology can alleviate the menial tasks, data gathering, data input, scheduling, etc. The tasks that aren't necessarily invigorating, but are needed to run the business. Or... They can be trained to run some of those complex algorithms that allow for us as advisors to spend more time presenting or explaining as opposed to calculating. The answer to the question, should your company use humans or robots, is simple. It's both. Not one or the other, but both as they work in tandem to deliver operational efficiencies and a client experience that allows firms to generate more revenues and impact more lives. Chad Santorbi, thanks so much uh, for joining us uh, today on Bridging the Gap. I love that conversation. Oh, Matt, thanks for having me. It was, uh, I enjoyed it as well. It was fun. Great. And to everyone out there listening, thanks for taking the time to listen to Bridging the Gap, and we'll have another one in your ears very soon. Thanks again. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think. The central wish could get.